Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, a community dedicated to the free search for truth, spirit, and meaning. We're glad you're here. As people whose faith tradition speaks the divine spark within everyone, let's now greet the holy in our midst as we turn to our neighbors and greet them. We now dedicate this sacred time to the healing of ourselves and of our world. On this 10th anniversary of the attack on 9-11, I read one of our memorial service readings. You all were given a slip of paper as you came in the door there are meditation times at various moments during this service, and I invite you to write down your wishes, prayers, memories, uh, your grief on these slips of paper. I'll remind you again. In the rising of the sun and in its going down, we remember them. In the blowing of the wind and in the chill of winter, we remember them. In the opening of buds and in the rebirth of spring, we remember them. In the blueness of the sky and the warmth of summer, we remember them. In the rustling of leaves and in the beauty of autumn, we remember them. In the beginning of the year and when it ends, we remember them. When we are weary and in need of strength, we remember them. When we are lost and sick at heart, we remember them. When we have joys we yearn to share, we remember them. So long as we live, they too shall live, for they are now part of us as we remember them. Join with me in, in, in affirming our mission statement, which is printed in your bulletin and on the wall. At First UU of Austin, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Now is the time in our service when we bring our joys and our sorrows into this sacred space. If you care to, please come forward and light a candle to focus on hopes, special events, or memories. The instructions are in your bulletin. This again would be a good time to look at that slip of paper in your bulletin and think of what you would like to write on it. I asked an artist in our congregation, Kathy Savage, to make us a wailing wall for the foyer. And so as you go out after the service, there is a pile of rubble there. When people go to the wailing wall, they roll up little pieces of paper with prayers on them and put them in between the stones and let the stones hold their prayers. As you go out from this place after the service, 
please feel free to roll up your piece of paper and put it into the stones. Your prayers will be treated with respect. This morning I'm preaching on the second of our seven Unitarian Universalist principles. The second one says, we covenant to affirm and promote justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. So, covenant together means to promise. And by signing the membership book of this church, you're promising to affirm, which means to agree with, and to promote, which means to say it out loud in public, um, to people who might argue with you. The easy part is that so many of our principles are very mildly stated. They don't sound dangerous. (laughs) The harder part is walking them on a daily basis. The first one we talked about last month was the first principle, which says we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person. I share with you my difficulties with that. And that principle will only get you argument from people who believe in, like, original sin, which uh, is kind of everybody around here. Not in here, but round here, as, as my Uncle David used to say to his cows. So who could argue with we covenant to affirm and promote justice, equity, and compassion in human relations? If you were to say this to a child, we would say something like people should be treated kindly and fairly. That would be a child's version of, of this. Your actions have consequences. You get what you deserve, or you should. You open something, you close it. You pick it up, you put it back down. You break it, you fix it. You mess it up, you clean it up. You do the crime, you do the time. So we covenant together to promote justice, fairness. And equity means that justice is for everybody equally. We agree that things should be right and fair for everybody. We're starting to run into trouble here. Um, Male, female, or in between, you should have the same rules, the same shades of all the skin color shades, uh, gay, straight, or in between, Spanish-speaking or Asian, moneyed or poor. um, Actions should have consequences. People shouldn't get away with bad behavior. Some people shouldn't be able to dirty everything while other other people clean it up. We're about to start our pledge drive here where we'll be saying that uh, it's not up to everybody else, it's up to us. We shouldn't count on the few to support the many um, to keep this congregation financially strong with good programming and absolutely the best possible minister. (laughs) But often, somebody does clean up after you. Often, you don't get what you deserve. You get better than you deserve. Often you break something and somebody else offers to clean it up. And it's a wonderful thing when it happens, and it happens because of compassion. Okay, now we've got the whole principle, justice, equity, and compassion. Mm. This is a confusing stew, though, because um, my favorite thing to do to make the principles um, come into full relief as 
their full level of difficulty, is to say uh, at the end of each principle, starting in our homes and congregations. Okay, so you have to have justice and fairness and compassion. Just think about your house. It's very difficult sometimes to figure out. Okay, so um, why is there, as, as Nick Lowe wrote in the song that Elvis Costello sang, why is there so much pain, hatred, and misery? Well, I think it's because there's just an imbalance among justice, equity, and compassion. We have too much compassion for ourselves and too little for other people who are not like us. Or we have too much compassion for our friends whom we understand and therefore feel compassion for. But we don't have compassion for people that we don't know. Or we have, um, we have a kind of a knee-jerk, lazy, tolerant compassion. This is religious liberals I'm talking to here. Uh, we have a kind of a lazy tolerance where we go, well, that's just them, you know. That's just the way they are. And we don't know when it's time to draw a boundary or to say, we will not stand for this. So, you know, if the little mice in the story had been religious liberals, they might have said something like, well, you know, that's just the cat being a cat. Um, His nature, maybe we could just talk together. Let's dialogue together with the cat. Let's, Let's coexist uh, peacefully and surely if the cat understood um, the pain of being fanged, uh, the cat would, would stop. But, you know, is the cat going to stop catching mice? Probably not. We do have a cat who's turned into a Buddhist, but uh, most cats... <laughs> There's a therapist and a rabbi named Edwin Friedman... And I think I've spoken to you about him before. He has a book called Friedman's Fables. Um, So here's this man who's working as a rabbi. He's also a therapist. So he knows congregations and the fables are about individuals and about congregations. And he has this story called The Friendly Forest. I'm not going to have time to tell you the whole thing, but you can Google The Friendly Forest and it'll probably come up. Um, The Friendly Forest talks about a a, a lamb who lives in the forest with her um, other lamb, cow, sheep, you know, goats kind of people. And um, a tiger moves in to the forest. And they're very excited because they're, you know, they have never had a, a tiger before. And the tiger kind of picks out this lamb and starts growling at the lamb and making threatening gestures. What would a tiger threatening gesture be? I guess kind of like one clock. <laughs> and the lamb is... Uh, uncomfortable. (laughs) And she tried to put it out of her thoughts because she was a good liberal lamb and she was just like, well, it's just being a tiger and um, tried not to think about it too much, but pretty soon the the little stuff started to get to her and even though the tiger wasn't around her all the time, she felt the tiger around her all the time because she was terrified. And she decided that she was going to... um, go talk to her friends about it. And so she went to the, to the friends, and they, would just, they just pointed out that no harm had actually befallen her. All the tiger had done was, you know, she was still whole, and um, the tiger was just being a tiger, and perhaps she was being too sensitive. 
finally, she couldn't put the tiger out of her mind anymore, and she decided to leave the forest. So she went to the other animals to say goodbye, and her friend said, this is silly. Nothing's happened. You must remember that a tiger is just a tiger. We'd like you. We'd be sad if you left. Um, we have been wondering what you have been doing that might trigger the tiger's aggressiveness. Surely this whole thing can be worked out. We're all reasonable. Just stay calm. There's just some misunderstanding that could be worked out if we all just had a meeting and talked it all out. So they said, maybe we could agree to get the tiger to just growl at you less and show his claws less, and then you could be a little less sensitive. And the lamb thought, there is something wrong with an agreement that says between the invader and the invaded that the invaded should just mind a little less while the invader just invades a little less. Until one of the animals was just heard to say, but he was uncouth and he was, you know, not as liberal as the rest. Um, He just said, you have a tiger and a lamb together. The bloody tiger needs to be in a cage. That's the end of the Friedman fable. So um, this is uncomfortable for me to think about because, you know, I worked as a therapist for 15 years, and I'm really used to understanding why people do what they do. And that turns into, well, you know, I, I really can see where they're coming from, and I know what happened in their childhood, and... I know what their mind does with the input that comes in, and so I really do understand um, why they're, you know, flashing knives at everybody. That was an exaggeration. And yet there has to be a time when you say, we are in a forest together and we are trying to live together, and so some things are okay and some things are not okay. And that's fairness. So, say I have a situation where somebody hurt me, and justice demands that they then be hurt, but, you know, I would rather just forgive them, because if they hurt me, I forgive them. If I hurt them, which is also likely, um, because we're all in community together, I'd rather just them forgive me. So I want to do for them what I want them to do for me, and can you be compassionate? What if somebody commits a crime, do you, do you just have compassion and say, sure, do understand why they did that? Or is there punishment too? And what if somebody flies two planes into your World Trade Center and we are religious liberals and we want to find a way to respond to that? And I want to talk about it with people because for many Americans, our sense of security was shattered that day. And we wanted revenge, and we wanted peace at the same time. And we wanted to talk about it, and we were too shocked to talk about it. And we wanted Americans to understand why other people in the world hate us, and we also wanted to affirm how much we love this country. We wanted to respond to this attack with working harder for justice for the poor 
and working harder to be a good global citizen with better behavior on the part of our nation. And we wanted to respond with well-thought-out punishment for the people who had attacked us, and we had to watch as almost the opposite happened. And some of the grief and frustration is still present, and our young men and women are still fighting the wars that resulted from that day. And we have had disagreements with family and friends over this last 10 years because of the tragedy. And so I invite you again to write your frustrations, your grief, your prayers, your wishes on your paper. And after the service, roll it up and put it into the wailing wall. Because there has to be a place in the community to receive such grief and to receive our frustration and to receive our prayers for peace and to receive our whatever you're feeling. So we continue to hold this tension, justice, peace, equity, compassion. How do we hold, we hold the tension in our beautiful, blessed hearts as we think and feel about each issue of justice and compassion that arises? And how do we draw correct boundaries, not too harsh boundary? How do we allow people to be who they are and yet not allow them to destroy our community? How do we do that? It's always messy and never fun. And to the urge for justice inside us, we might quote Gandhi, who said, if we choose an eye for an eye, we will all soon be blind. But to our sometimes wishy-washy tolerance of destructive behavior, we may quote Malcolm X, who said, we must sometimes kill the one who is evil in order to save the many who are innocent. My father used to say, remember, mercy to the tiger is cruelty to the lamb. So we wrestle with this on small scale and on large scale. We wrestle with this as a nation. We are a Christian nation, they say. Not really true, but there sure are a lot of Christians. And... Um, and the Christian value is when you're attacked, turn the other cheek. But is that just a value for an individual, or should a whole nation do it? Can I turn the other cheek for you? If somebody hits you, can I say, here, let me turn your other cheek? No. The values for communities are somewhat different from values for individuals. I don't know how exactly. That would be an interesting discussion to have. If one of us behaves inappropriately, do we have compassion and say, oh, that's just them, they can't help it. Knowing the person helps us have compassion. On the other hand, it makes the person never get confronted, even lovingly, with their bad behavior. And that, in turn, makes it hard on everybody around them. Now, I want to invite you to confront me with my bad behavior, but I'm not going to because I don't really want you to. But I do want to say, if I were the person I would like to be, I would do that. <laughs> Love is the word some of my colleagues use to sum up this principle. 
And I don't ever have any bad behavior, by the way, just in case you're worrying. Um, Love includes compassion and it includes justice. And when you love, you want the other person to be better and you want them to face themselves and you want to challenge them and say your peace and you want to encourage them to remember their community. And of course, that kind of challenge has to be done only rarely with fear and trembling after you've already confronted yourself as much as you can about the part of whatever that matter is that is your responsibility. And so we've codified this principle almost in the covenant of right relations that we've adopted and we want to behave with equity and love and compassion. Nick Lowe's song asks, where are the strong and who are the trusted? And what I want to tell you, my friends, is as people of the Spirit, as people of faith, as religious liberals, as Unitarian Universalists, as people with a divine spark in their hearts, we are the strong, and we are the trusted. That is our call. And now, go in peace with all of our love and all of our longing for justice and all of our sense of fairness held in our hearts. May we struggle with these, sometimes as awkwardly as a swan walking over the land. And sometimes may we find the wisdom that carries us easily as the swan is carried when it goes into the water, its true element. May each of you find your true element that buoys you up and carries you along. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.